I think that uh, crime definitely pays and that it's a great job. The hours are good and you're your own boss and you travel a lot and you, you get to meet interesting people and uh, I just think it's a good job in general. Welcome to the Lucas Grobot Show. I'm Lucas Grobot, and this is where we uncover purpose, pursue truth, and own the future. Today, episode 230, June 9th. You'll be getting this into your ears June 10th. And the world has been hit with a series of ransomware attacks, not only in the last week, but in the last month. And it's been exposing vulnerabilities, vulnerabilities in our global infrastructure that we already know that were there, which makes you wonder just how safe are these infrastructures? You know, we've seen a thousand films or more on hackers taking down pipelines and electrical grids, you name it, destroying global infrastructure, and ruling the world. So we really shouldn't be surprised that what we're seeing in Hollywood come to pass on a monthly, weekly basis. I'm I'm actually surprised that we don't hear about it more if you think about how many soft targets are really out there. But before we get into the meat of this episode, I want to ask this question. And it's a question that I've been thinking about as I've been prepping for this episode, which is, Why the heck should we care? Why should we spend our time today listening and observing and taking in what's been happening with these hacks and global infrastructure? And the point that I have come to is realizing that we all need to have a level of independence. We need to be independent, being able to not have to rely on other people, to be functioning members of the society who are able to give, who who are act as individuals and have a robust ecosystem around us that we can then plug into so that we can move into interdependence. And a lot of what we see and we'll see in today's episode, we'll be talking about how when there are singular points of failure or when there aren't robust backup systems or they aren't fail-safes, We can get into these problems, and if we think about the global infrastructure and how everything is connected, one error can have rippling effects that compound extremely, but we can safeguard and defend against that, not maybe on a global infrastructure level, unless, you know, you're happening to be coding, you learn to code. I've, (laughs) a running joke that I've been saying is that I need to learn to code because I've, I've made some uh, attempts to uh, Im- uh, implement some things on my website and it's just way above my code learning curve. And so I need to learn to code. So unless maybe you're someone who's coding for you know top security IT firms across the globe. So maybe you could actually do something about this on a global scale, but most of us probably aren't. But this can still apply to our lives, we can still take the principles and make our lives uh, robust systems that are not impenetrable to attack, but we can gird ourselves up, gird our minds up so that if we are attacked, if we do have breakdowns and and I don't want to use the word glitches, but if we do have times of trials and tribulations, we, one, can be someone who helps and serves others. And two, 
we have other nodes, we have other people that we can connect with to help and disseminate and guard and safeguard and fight against things that might attack our individual systems. And what I mean by that is our person, our mind, our family, those things that we actually have control over, our finances, our food, our homes. That is what we can control. That is what we can at least set up systems to help. So what's been happening this week? Well, it started with Fastly, a web server that hosts major uh, companies, went down this week due to a computing error, due to a coding error. Hashtag learn to code. Here is NBC explaining what happened. Several major websites that went offline around the world uh, happened after an outage at cloud service company Vastly. The New York Times, CNN, Twitch, Reddit, some Amazon sites, and even the UK government's homepage couldn't be reached in this massive internet outage, which started at around 6 a.m. here in New York. Now, these sites are mostly back online. So what Fastly does, it's a server. It's a web server. But our web services connect everything in the globe. When you log on to your phone, when you log on to Instagram and Twitter, and when you're getting your news to your, to your feed, it is going through these servers. But there's more than just information. It's more than just your Twitch stream or your, your podcasts that are showing up through these servers. They're actually infrastructure that's connected to these servers. Here's another clip from NBC on this. We operate something known as a CDN or content delivery network. So these are groups of servers and data centers around the world which store content like images and video so that they're closer to the end users. Mm. That means that someone in Europe going to an American website can get the content faster. And this entire episode has laid bare just how essential some of these behind the scenes companies really are when it comes to the current architecture of the Internet. Now, probably most people knew that on some level that, okay, if, if servers go out, there are going to be problems. But oftentimes we don't feel that pain on a daily basis. And the reason that we don't feel that pain on a daily basis is because we actually live in a miraculous, incredible world where things are organized. Systems are, have been made and tested time and time again. And we can actually thank the industrial revolution for this. We can actually thank capitalism for this. We can thank the, the, we can thank people who made sure that there are no tolerances in the system. So oftentimes we talk about, we need to be tolerant. If uh, If a bolt is tolerant, that means it's not tight. That means it's very loose and can fit into many different holes. But when we create tight systems with Six Sigma engineering where everything is perfect and there's zero tolerance, zero play, that's when we see systems in our world operate smoothly. And the fact that you and I don't recognize the systems that the magical systems that are around us on a daily basis just proves that we live in an amazing, an absolutely amazing society. So was what happened at Fastly a cyber attack or a ransomware? Well, no, not exactly. Here's a clip from Reuters. Fastly reported a disruption from a, quote, service configuration, but did not explain further. Users received error messages when they visited the affected sites, 
which cyber experts say is an indication that Fastly was not a victim of a cyber attack. Reuters goes on to say, beyond the fact that it's not a cyber attack, but it caused some disruptions more than just 21,000 Reddit users, users not being able to uh, access Reddit, more than Amazon Twitch users experiencing outages. Uh, they actually, it actually also affected distributions or disruptions affected the COVID-19 vaccination in some places. So people weren't able to register for their vaccines or get reports and test results because these servers are down. Now think about it on a much bigger scale. What would happen if this was an actually targeted attack against these web servers? What could be taken down. Well, thankfully it wasn't, but it's not the only case that has been happening this week. Uh, the Daily Mail from the UK reported on Wednesday, June 8th, that cyber criminals targeted Congress, US Congress, 60 members from both parties were left unable to access data for weeks in the latest ransomware hack. Now, so Congress members are unable to access data for their, from their constituents, at least 60 lawmakers. The target was a company named iConstitute, which is a tech vendor that provides constitute services for lawmakers. It's still being investigated. It's unclear who is responsible for the attack, but the U.S. government and companies have been targeted by Russian cyber hackers. That's right. It's the Russians. Russia. Russia, 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 Russia. Oh, it's always Russia. It's poor Russia always gets the blame. Apparently, President Biden is going to be speaking with Putin about Russian hackers uh, next week when they meet. But if you're following the news at all, you would know that this is only the tip of the iceberg. These ransomware attacks are are spreading. It's almost as, as if it's a <gasps> pandemic. It's a pandemic of, of ransomware attacks. That's it. Everyone, you need to stay in home and actually close your phones. Don't text people because you never know who might attack your phone and <clears throat> better not talk to anyone. It's locked down. We're going back in. It's a ransomware pandemic. That's that's what it is. But no, earlier, earlier we saw a that beef the beef infrastructure in america was attacked by yes of course a russia russian cyber criminal group which was behind a ransomware attack according to the fbi that attacked meat suppliers the fbi said it was working to bring a group called our evil to justice for the hack on jbs the cyber reach over the weekend shut down some JBS operations in the U.S., Canada, and Australia. Now, JBS is a regional and multinational beef distributor. JBS is the largest meat distributor in the world with 150 plants in 15 countries. And before you're like, well, it's just it's great that, you know, those rich oligarchies, colonialists, uh, white man power capitalists, are suffering. Why should we care? This was actually founded by people of color in Brazil in 1953. A rancher named Jose Bastista Sombrejo. I probably said that wrong. I never, I tried to learn Spanish in high school 
my ninth grade, it didn't work out too well. But, you know, Elifat Matwa, past is dead, as they would say. So the company has 150,000 employees worldwide, and its customers include supermarkets and fast food outlets like McDonald's. In the U.S., JBS processes nearly one quarter of the country's beef and one fifth of its pork products. Now, think of the impact that this could have and how exposed these critical infrastructures are. They could shut down entire food supplies, not just in one nation, not just in one region, not just in multiple states, but across the globe. This has global impacts because everything is now connected. We live in a globally connected world and we do not see, oftentimes do not see, the logistics and the systems that connect us together that enable not only you to hear my voice in your ears right now, which is just phenomenal if you stop and you think about it, but enables shipments to go around the world in, in moments. We, you know, we saw the evergreen the Suez Canal just all of a sudden stop and turn and run into the side and billions of dollars were lost as ships had to wait and, and, and weren't able to pass. Food was lost. Livestock died on the ships because they weren't able to get to where they're going in the right place. We live in a fragile world and we need to build robust systems, robust systems and, and broad and decentralized networks where and this is, the, this is the thing that I, I love, and I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit, but the thing that I love about each and every individual is each and every individual acts as a node in a network of nodes. And when each person is able to stand up and become an independent person who gives to society, then we move from independence where we're just being self-reliant and we're giving to ourselves and we're able to transition and move to interdependence. We're able to serve others and give to others. And that makes society robust. Well, back to the crime, right? Crime pays is Woody Allen said in his uh, 1969 film, take the money and run crime pays. Well, it's, it's not just in the U.S. that hacks are happening, but according to the BBC back in mid-May 2021, the Ireland healthcare system has been attacked twice, been targeted twice by cybercrime attacks. The Department of Health said it shut down the IT systems after a ransomware attack on Thursday, May 13th or 15th, I believe, back in May 2021. A similar attack happened on the Health Service Executive HSC or HSC on Friday and caused substantial ca cancellations to outpatient services. The same cybercrime group is believed to be behind both incidences. What happens if people are able to hack into computer systems and all of a sudden just change people's medications, say that people aren't allergic to penicillin, who are. And all of a sudden, we see a bunch of people dying. We live in a fragile system. Well, this leads us to the big cannoli, the, the meaty part of this episode, because it's not all bad news. There's actually some pretty fun good news. But the colonial pipeline, you, you are most likely aware that a major pipeline, pipeline on the eastern seaboard 
of America was hacked on or about May 7th. The Colonial Pipeline, according to the U.S. Justice Department, said it was a victim of a highly publicized ransomware attack, including or resulting, excuse me, in the company taking portions of its infrastructure out of operation. The Colonial Pipeline reported to the FBI that its computer network was accessed by an organization named Darkside and that it has received pay and paid a ransom demanded, which was approximately 75 Bitcoin. Now, this led to uh, the shutdown of fuel suppliers all across the eastern seaboard. It led to companies and, and oil pumpers across the globe stopping pumping because they had no place to move their oil. They had no place to move it from their refinery. It had this big uh, buildup. And it also led to gasoline to reach their highest prices in six and a half years. Of course, lawmakers have warned that criminal ransomware gangs are increasingly targeting the United States infrastructure and businesses, but we've been knowing that. So why haven't we been doing something about it? So how do these hacks typically happen? And I find this actually particularly interesting when we talk about some of the bigger macro themes of this show, which is watch your thoughts, because your thoughts are like seeds. Your thoughts become your emotions, your emotions become your actions, and those actions become your habits and your behaviors, and then the ecosystem that you live in, which essentially becomes your destiny. So what happens when we click the wrong button, or we let the wrong little Trojan horse into our mind, and they create strongholds in our mind? and take over our thoughts. Well, this is exactly how these hackers do it. So we have a, a clip from an interview uh, from Today in Tech, and it's Mark Weatherford, the Chief Strategy Officer for the National Cybersecurity Center. And here is his first clip explaining the some of the business side and how these hackers got into these systems initially. They get in via malicious email, via somebody clicking on a link that that compromises a system that that you know may may not have been patched. Right. And then you know once they once they get that foothold, then they typically can go anywhere. And and that's again that's probably why one of the reasons why Colonial shut down everything because they didn't know if if the bad guys even if they may have you know compromised the the IT network did they actually get a toehold into an OT network somewhere that they weren't aware of. Now, as I said in the beginning, why why should we care about this story? How does this story apply to our personal lives? I, I know we, we like talking about conspiracies and things that are happening across the globe, but I always love to bring it back to my personal domain and how I can apply this to my life. And what he said here is so important. When something gets a foothold, a stronghold in our mind, we click on the wrong thing. We upload a piece of software to our mind, malware to our mind, thoughts that are detrimental to us, and they take a stronghold, they can then go anywhere. They can then grow and multiply in our mind. So, in this case, for the Colonial Pipeline, they access just the IT network, which is the business side, their, their billing, et cetera. 
But they realized, well, this could actually also impact the entire system, and we could have something that's much more dangerous, the OT, which is the physical system, really could have real impact. Uh, Mark Weatherford goes on. When you start talking about OT systems, you're talking about physical systems and things that break and go boom. So Mm -hmm. even though it was a business network and, uh, you know, uh, apparently not the control system, yeah, until you kind of more completely understand this thing, you just can't be sure that the compromise didn't jump the segmentation gap between the um, the IT and the OT systems. And as I said, you know, the OT systems are what control the physical distribution of that oil and gas and diesel and jet fuel, you know, going down the pipe. So criminal manipulation of those systems could result in, you know, real world security, physical security problems like you know, overpressurization of the of the pipes. You know, misrouting of the the fuel to someplace where it shouldn't go, or or even just you know unplanned release of those products. You know, when and where they shouldn't be released. I mean, it doesn't take much to imagine what could happen if if hackers really had their way. The physical play out of this, and I know we're hitting that same point over and over again. I'm bored of it too, but it's important to realize that the same thing can happen in our lives. The same thing can happen in our domains of society. And one of the ways that this can creep in, not only to our life, but into society at large, is when we seek ease and comfort. Mark Mark here goes on to a very interesting point of why we move away oftentimes from from systems that are robust with redundancies and we put ourselves at risk. And our quest to automate everything and create more efficiency in our critical infrastructures, we've deployed technologies without really taking the time to ensure that they're appropriately protected. And that's it. We are looking for ease. But when we build broad and decentralized structures instead, Oftentimes, it's not easy on the front end, but it builds uh, an ability to weather storms in the long run. You know, I don't even like talking about some of these vulnerable infrastructures. You know, you talked about, you know, we, we, we're very aware of oil and gas and electricity. But what about telecommunications? What about healthcare? You know, th- there's a lot of other there's 16 national critical infrastructures and every 16. one of these can be impacted by it, you know, and, and, you know, I don't like to, I don't like to talk about it because it sounds like FUD and you can get people stirred up. But, you know, if you think about this, if a simple ransomware attack by a criminal group, not even a nation state actor can have this kind of supply chain impact, the answer is yes, we have a national security concern. Even the oil producers, you know, the people that were, that are, that are pumping oil to get in the pipe, they had to shut down because they didn't have any place to put the oil, to store the oil. So, you know, these ripple effects throughout the, the economy are really, really important. There's a couple of things that I like what he, what he said here, and I want to touch on it. One, he doesn't like talking about this because it, it can lend itself to fear-based conspiracy theories, right? I, I try to stay away from conspiracy theories, even just in my own personal life. Because it doesn't lead anywhere. It, it makes us caught up in these worlds, whether they're true or not. These worlds that have no impact on my, my life, nothing that I can actually control. And so 
so I, he's so right in saying, I don't like talking about these things because it can lend itself to fear. It can lend itself to conspiracy. But there are 16 critical points along the, the infrastructure across the globe that if there was a malicious state actor, if there was a coordinated uh, ransomware or hacking attacks across multiple sectors across the globe at the same time, everything could fall down. We live in a fragile, in a very fragile and interconnected world. What happens here in the Middle East affects what happens in on the West Coast of America, which affects what's happening in Japan and Australia and China. We're, we live in a connected world. We live in a globalized world and we do not realize, I don't think we, I don't think I realize the profound systems that run silently that we take for granted. And so many today, it's the, and it's probably been for nearly all time, young people, 20, 20 year old, something late teens, twenties. And I was probably like that too, to a degree. And I was in different areas, but we, we look at these systems and we say, I can do it better. I could, if I only got in there, I would be able to turn this whole thing upside down on its head and I would be able to create better systems. I would be able to revolutionize these archaic ways of, of doing life and be able to end poverty overnight if, if only I was in charge. And over my years, I, I watched leaders and I watched them move slowly. And I, at first I was so frustrated, so frustrated, like, why, why don't you move me fast? Why don't you just make the decisions in your business and like, Set it on the right track. Like, not, stop with all of this humble blah, blah blah around and trying to, you know, get everyone on board. Just make the decision, move forward. They're either with us or they're against us. But over the years, I I began to see the wisdom in in those people who are more experienced and more wise than I am. A lot of people in the way that they lead slowly and create change slowly. And this is what we talked about. Last year, when we looked at the differences between the, the French Revolution and the American Revolution, the Re American Revolution said, let's take everything that we have learned from hundreds of years of philosophy and history, and let's build line upon line upon that. Let's, let's lay out our framework of ideals, and then let's slowly improve and progress from that solid framework. Whereas in the French Revolution, they said, burn it all down, and it led to the, you know, the bloody revolution of Maximilian, which led to the, the reign of terror and thousands going to the guillotine. But we don't want to go that way. We don't want to burn down all these systems that really are, are capitalism that's fueling everything that you and I do. But this is the, the cry of the generation, destroy capitalism. Uh, but we don't, I'm sure many people who are, are saying that probably don't understand the highly complex systems that we live in or the systems of capitalism that are keeping roofs overhead, gas in our car, and food on our table. Now, controlling and centralizing systems can be good things. They can create top-down structures. They can create bureaucracy. They can take create uh, standards of operations to safeguard many things, but they can also become bottlenecks. It can also become bureaucracy. It can also become red tape for anything to get done. And But when we create broad and decentralized systems, it is messy. It can 
not look as nice. Sometimes it's not as efficient. Sometimes people aren't as unified because there's not one leader commanding everything that should be done. But when we put power to the individual and we take power as individual individuals over our life and we take responsibility over our life to build ourselves up as individuals, as independent people, that I, I really believe is where the stability of society comes from. It comes from the individual. Of course, it comes from centralized government. Of course, governments and business, science, technology, healthcare, of course, all these other big systems play a role. But the smallest unit of that, the smallest bricks in the building are the individual and then the family unit. And if we can create strong bricks, strong individuals, then we can create strong and robust systems. We'll get this into a little bit more in our Weaver and Loom section. But wrapping up this segment, crime really does pay. And there's some pretty laughable stories that have come out of the colonial pipeline story and there's 75, 75 Bitcoin that they got paid off. But here's, here's Woody Allen again. Crime does pay. I think that uh, crime definitely pays and that it's a great job. The hours are good and you're your own boss and you travel a lot and you, you get to meet interesting people. And uh, I just think it's a good job in general. Crime is a good job in general. Well, the U.S. Department of Justice uh, has a different view. After they reviewed the Bitcoin ledger, law enforcement was able to track multiple transfers of Bitcoin and identify approximately 63.7 Bitcoins from the colonial ransom uh, payment. Here is the Department of Justice the director, Paul Abbott. Parkside developers market their ransomware to criminal affiliates who then conduct attacks and share a percentage of the proceeds with the developers, a scheme known as ransomware as a service. In this case, the FBI has identified more than 90 victims across multiple U.S. critical infrastructure sectors. Those include manufacturing, legal, insurance, healthcare, and energy. Based on our investigation into DarkSide and incredible work with other U.S. government partners, we identified a virtual currency wallet that the DarkSide actors used to collect a payment from a victim. Using law enforcement authorities, victim funds were seized from that wallet, preventing DarkSide actors from using them. So, I mean, it's, it's important to recognize that these people are, of course, the Department of Justice, but the, the dark side. What a name, dark side. They're they're professionals. They've done this 90 some odd times. They, you know, this is their job. It's ransomware as service. It's like a SaaS product, but in reverse. And they should know what they're doing. And yet somehow the FBI access their private keys. I mean, which is, which is their password. The private keys are normally a 16 word password that, you're, you're not supposed to put anywhere in digital form. You're not supposed to put online. You should keep it safe. But somehow the FBI accessed their private keys and were able to take back $2 million worth of Bitcoin from, from DarkSide. Now, it's first off, there's, there's a couple of things I find deeply ironic. Now, Bitcoin, for all of its glory, 
a main criticism is is that it's used for nefarious purposes like this, like smuggling money and, and money laundering, etc. But we have to remember at the same time that Bitcoin has a public ledger. That means anytime you send anything over the, the blockchain network, it is there permanently for everyone to see forever. If, if we live in a world that goes fully onto the blockchain and goes fully onto Bitcoin, it means that every time you purchase something from whether it's Krispy Kreme to your coffee shop, there will be a permanent record that anyone can look at. Anyone would be able to go and look and see exactly what you bought when you bought it and how much you spent to it, this public ledger. Well, now if you're a ransomware service and you've pulled off 90 of these, or at least tried 90 of these, and you just successfully gotten 75 Bitcoin, you think that you'd be a little bit more careful. You think that you'd know, okay, this is a public ledger. Maybe I should probably try to move my money around in deceptive ways so that it's not all in one place for the FBI to come up and sweep up. And then what, are, are you leaving the Bitcoin just on online somewhere? Or did you put it into cold storage? So cold storage for Bitcoin, for those who don't know, you can actually put your 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 wallet, your Bitcoin wallet on a jump drive or on a hard drive that's not connected to the internet so it's not hackable. You actually have to have the physical product or, and I think this is the case, you can have the key, but that key shouldn't be online. So how did the FBI get it? Well, there is a, an article from the registry, the register.com, and they write this very question. How did the FBI get access to this private key. It's not entirely clear. It could be that the feds were able to gain access to a system hosting the key. It could be that someone gave them the key. That would be ironic. Or that the Bureau got the key from them. Maybe Darkseid just said, sure, here's the key. Darkseid complained in the middle of May that its servers had been seized and its money taken. So it's quite possible that Darkseid's infrastructure was commandeered by the feds who were able to return the 75 Bitcoin minus the fees already paid to their ransomware gang to their affiliates. So Colonial Pipeline got their money back. And uh, wow, you know, you think that if you were a professional criminal you would do a better job. Here, here's another clip from that same movie from uh, Woody Allen. He just was the best cover-up job I've ever seen in my life. I mean, unbelievable acting job. I actually believe that he was an idiot. I Just to think that that idiot was a criminal, I just can't believe it. There was a mind working in there that could rob banks. It's phenomenal. <laughs> there was a mind working in there that could rob banks. It's phenomenal. I really believe that he was an idiot. Oh, my goodness. You know... Play stupid games, win stupid prizes, and apparently dark side uh, wasn't a very smart. I mean, clearly they're smart enough to to hack into a Colonial Pipeline, but uh, it's just so it's, it's so funny. But it, ladies and gentlemen, it gets better. The news that came out this week that the FBI, in cooperation with sixteen international governments via uh, Europol, Interpol agencies, they pulled off one of the most sophisticated stings that led to the arrest of 
hundred criminals that worked in organized crime and trafficking drugs and uh, illegal substances, guns, etc. across the world. Here is Randy Grossman, who's the acting U.S. attorney of the Southern District of California. This investigation called Operation Trojan Shield shined a light into the shadowy industry of hardened encrypted devices. For the first time, the FBI developed and operated its own hardened encrypted device company called Anom, A-N-O-M. As we allege in our indictment, criminal organizations and the individual defendants that we have charged purchased and distributed Anom devices in an effort to secretly plan and execute their crimes. So what happened was a, a few years ago, some encrypted services went down. They got arrested. Well, the FBI moved into the vacuum that was created and they created their own shell company called ANON, Anom, Anonymous. And they created a phone that they said, hey, this is like totally encrypted. Look at all of our, our tech behind it, et cetera, et cetera. And they created this phone and then they went to criminal network distributors, people who distribute phones or other encrypted software so that criminals can talk back and forth to one another securely and avoid governments. They went to them and they sold them and licensed this phone out to them for them to be able to then sell to criminals and criminal networks across the world. I mean, I mean, this is just funny. You, you got to play that clip again of, uh, <laughs> you know, people, people's kids. So uh, just an amazing operation by not only the FBI, but I think it was 16 different agencies across the world uh, cooperated with this. He, the clip goes on. In fact, Anum's distributors, administrators, and agents had so much confidence in the secrecy of their devices that they openly marketed them to other potential users as designed by criminals for criminals. Brilliant. But the devices were actually operated by the FBI. <laughs> the worldwide implications of this investigation are staggering. In total, the criminals sold more than 12,000 Anon encrypted devices and services to more than 300 criminal syndicates operating in over 100 different countries. 12,000 phones were sold by the FBI through these channels to 300 different crime syndicate networks to over a hundred countries. I mean, if you put that, if, if you looking on, on video, you can see that nearly the entire world is orange from where these phones were distributed. Just brilliant, brilliant. The criminals using these devices believe they were secretly planning crimes far beneath the radar of law enforcement. But in reality, the criminals were not underneath the radar. They were on it. The FBI was monitoring those conversations. The very devices that the criminals used to hide their crimes were actually a beacon for law enforcement. The criminal users didn't know that for more than 18 months, the FBI captured more than 27, message, 27 million messages between users around the world who had their criminal discussions reviewed, recorded, and translated by the FBI. For all of our talk here on the show about privacy, you know, a lot of times we're talking about privacy from marketers. We talk about, you know, Twitter's 
changing their policy? Are they going to read your messages? Are your messages really encrypted? Do governments have backdoors into Twitter? Are, are, are apps like Telegram, are they actually secure or are there backdoors everywhere? Do we have, an, is there any such thing as privacy in today's age? Well, <laughs> this I think just like is the stamp that just seals it, which is absolutely not. And if, if, if you are a criminal that is seeking to harm other people and to break laws across the globe, you know what? They're going to come after you. They're, they're going to find a way to find you and to read your messages unless, you know, you find carrier pigeons somewhere and you're able to, to, to resurrect carrier pigeons from the dead and, and send them across town to your, your other crime syndicate buddy. You know, it's not going to work. So for all of our talk about privacy, if, if governments want to find out what you're doing, because you're not a good person and you're trying to kill people, they're going to find out one way or another. 27 million messages intercepted. Until the Anim platform was taken down yesterday, grand totals for the entire investigation include 800 arrests and seizures of more than eight tons of cocaine, 22 tons of marijuana, wow. two tons of methamphetamine and amphetamine, six tons of precursor chemicals, 250 firearms, and more than 48 million in various worldwide currencies. I think that uh, crime definitely pays and definitely. that uh, the hours are good and you're your own boss and you travel a lot. Crime pays until you get caught. 800 people arrested across the globe. Uh, crime syndicates taken down. I mean, the, the amount of cash and drugs that were seized from this operation, impressive. Operation Trojan Shield, which again is, it goes back to that Trojan horse metaphor that we talk about so often here on the show. Watch your thoughts because thoughts are like Trojan horses that will come in. And in this case, the, the Trojan horse was the Anom phones that got all these criminals. Now, here is uh, another clip from the same Department of Justice uh, interview or press release. Uh, this is Adam Cohen, the director of Organized Crime and Drug Enforcement Task Force of the United States Department of Justice. That's a mouthful. But here's Adam Cohen commenting on just the, the fallout, that the positive fallout from this sting operation. There are a number of measurable outputs from this incredibly complex long-term investigation. Tactical, actionable intelligence was derived in near real time, presenting interdiction opportunities to disrupt major drug trafficking, money laundering, and other criminal activity while the platform was active. That said, as the director of the OCDF program, I'm most impressed with the counter-network impacts of this investigation has had and has as Operation Trojan Shield targeted the command and control elements of transnational criminal organizations. Arguably, the three most important outcomes of this operation may be that the 18 months of real-time intelligence gathered by law enforcement offering a crystal clear window into the operations of hundreds of criminal organizations, which will undoubtedly help to drive continued targeting of organized crime. Here's an important the disruptive tip. impacts on these criminal organizations as they try to determine the depth and the breadth of law enforcement's infiltration into their illicit operations and the dismantlement of command and control hubs. Organizers 
planners and facilitators are not easily replaced in complex criminal networks. Organizers, planners, and facilitators are not easily replaced in complex criminal networks and complex networks, right? It's not easy to replace some of these integral hubs, these integral people, these nodes. They're very difficult to replace. Now think of the broader systems that we live in, the systems that we live in that we don't see. These criminal networks, they were operating probably quite smoothly and quite fine until one day a Trojan horse came in and disrupted. And as, as Cohen said, Adam Cohen said, these organizations, they were, they, they had their top infrastructure taken out. They targeted the operation centers. And right now, everyone is wondering how much information did they get? What do they know? How deep did this Trojan horse get into our operation? And the same thing happens in our personal lives. When we let things into our lives that we don't know is a Trojan horse, it will grow and grow and grow until one day we wake up and we hit rock bottom or we smack face into the wall. We run into reality and we then have to start taking account and wondering just how much damage has this done? Just how, take bitterness or unforgiveness. How, if we let that seed of bitterness grow and turn into a root into our lives, we're going to wake up one day bitter and angry and crusty and we'll have to do a damage assessment and say, how much has this affected? How many relationships have I destroyed because of the bitterness that is turning into acid that's corroding everything in my life? The, the question, back to the, the Trojan shield, the question that I had that is answered right now is why did they take this thing down? If after five years and 18 months of 27 million messages, why would you take out and, and expose such a successful operation. Well, here is Susan Turner, who is a spe special agent in charge of the FBI in San Diego, commenting on that. Uh, based on the scope and the magnitude of this investigation and how many transnational organized crimes were across the globe, we just discussed the, um, that this was an ideal time to take it down. Obviously, there are authorities uh, that are connected to our platform that are renewed on a regular basis, and that was also coming up. And so we decided, based on the amount of crime that was occurring, the threats to life, it was time to get these criminals off the street. I think they saved about 20, 20 some odd lives through this operation, but it, it had run its course and it was time to take it off the streets. It was time to take it off the streets. Don't go away. We're going to be right back finishing talking about the decentralization of power. We're going to be talking about individuality. We're going to be talking about interdependence and independence in our Weaver and Loom segment. And one way to get more value from this episode is by texting it to a friend. Don't, I mean, you, you can post it on social media platforms, but when you text it to a friend, it does something different. When I get a personal message from a friend, I feel loved. And then I like that person more because I'm like, oh, they're thinking about me. Now, we learn through discussion. We learn through community and we 
we are leaders in our community. As leaders in our community, whether it's leaders in your personal life, within your friends, whatever measure that you are or aren't a leader, you are a leader. People do look up to you. As a leader, we help define reality for people around us. We help set culture around us. And the one way that we do that is by sharing, having memetics, where we're sharing back and forth information. So please, if you want to get more value out of this and see your communities transformed, share this with them. The second way that you can get more value from this show is by supporting the show in the value that you feel that you are getting from it. If you're saying to yourself, well, I'm getting I'm getting nothing from this show. This show's dumb. Well, then why why are you listening? If you're not getting value from the show, you probably shouldn't waste your waste your time as your time it's a valuable resource. But if you are getting value from this show, you can give value back to it and that will cause you to get more value from it and you can do so by streaming Satoshi's over uh, at Satoshi-enabled apps like Breeze, or you can visit the website and give your hard-earned cash via the website. So don't go away. We got our Weaver and Loom segment coming right up. Welcome back to Weaver and Loom, a part of the show where we take ancient wisdom and we weave it in with our everyday lives so that we can own our future and weave our destiny. And guys and girls, I, I truly believe that our destiny is written in the stars, that before we were knit together in our mother's womb, that God had a plan and a design and a purpose for our lives. But... Alas, sadly, and sometimes I really hate this. I hate this about life because it means I have to get out of bed in the morning. We have to, we are the ones that have to do something about our lives. If we don't get up, if we don't take action, if we don't make decisions, if we don't make wise decisions, then we are not going to weave our destiny. And our lives are just going to sit like a pile of thread right there on the floor, unspent potential, and we will rust out. What a terrible terrible way to live. Well, today's quote is by Stephen Covey, the one and only Stephen Covey, who wrote uh, seven Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And his quote is, interdependence is a choice only independent people can make. Interdependence is a choice only independent people can make. And we've been talking woven throughout this episode. We've been talking about interdependence. We've been talking about independence. We've been talking about the power of an individual as a supreme expression of the state. You, the individual, you are the building block of society. You are the thing that can change culture. And there's so much talk going on about systems. And and it's not just in American politics. It is across the globe, especially even right now with everything that's happening and has happened in the Middle East with conflict. There's so much talk about, well, these these systems, we have to attack these, dismantle these systems, the systems of capitalism and oppression. And okay, yes, you know, there probably are, there are systems out there. 
and we can have a whole nother conversation to judge, you know, the, the positives or negatives, the, the, the good and the bad of these systems. But really, we're probably, we're probably not going to affect the system. And by the time we get to a place that we could have an impact on that system, it is far too late. We're playing, we're playing far behind the ball. But what we need to do, and the, the, the way that we can change systems, if that's what you want to do, it starts in the home. It starts with us. It starts by us becoming strong, independent people. And when we become independent, when we are able to take care of ourselves and serve ourselves and not have to rely on other people. Now, everyone has to rely on other people to a degree. If you're a business owner, you rely on other people, but the way that you rely on other people is by providing a valuable product or service. You're not relying on someone in the way of a handout. You're not relying on someone in the way of, of socialism or communism or Marxism might say that people need to rely on the government or that the government should control the whole, control the state and redistribute wealth. We're not talking about that sort of reliance. But when we become independent people, we then have the power to move into interdependence. And this is the life journey that everyone goes on. When we are born, we are completely and utterly dependent. We can't do nothing. It's a miracle that any, that it is a miracle that you got to the place where you're actually listening to this today. Because of all the trials and tribulations, all the times you probably almost died and didn't know it. We go from complete dependence and then we have to move into a place of independence. And once we become independent, we're able to stand. We're able to be a valuable node in society. We're able to be self-sufficient. We know who we are. We have our self-disciplines and our walls built up to defend ourselves from these Trojan horses and malware that try to come in and take a foothold and a stronghold in our mind of bitterness or unforgiveness to corrupt all the important systems. Once we defend against that, then we can move into interdependence. And it's in the place of interdependence that we start seeing an impact in our culture, in our society, in our family, in our friend circles. That interdependence, when we say, I need you and you need me. Not because I can't do it without you, but because I choose you and you choose me because it's better and we're stronger together if I give to you and I receive from you rather than just being alone. And this goes all the way back to the beginning, looking at the, the connectedness of the globe. And the globe is a safer and more connected place when each nation, when each person, when each individual is able to be independent and free and at the same time willfully choosing to enter into mutually beneficial relationships with one another. That's all for today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. I definitely enjoyed it. I'll play you the, the closing clip again of Crime Pain. I just love that clip. It's so funny. But before we go, remember... You, you are someone who has a purpose. So I hope this week you go out and uncover it. I hope this week you go out and pursue truth. You seek out truth. You seek to know 
what are the, the frameworks and the, the bounds of society and morality that will enable you to own your future. I think that uh, crime definitely pays and that it's a great job. The hours are good and you're your own boss and you travel a lot and you, you get to meet interesting people. And uh, I just think it's a good job in general. See you next week.